time our children three to eight years old are dismissed to Children's Church, if you're going to be going down there, and the rest of you can uh, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Thank you, Peggy and Jessica, for your ministry this morning. Uh, what a challenge to us. What a prayer that we should be having in our daily lives. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to continue on our study of this chap of this book. Uh, in first. In the first chapter of this letter, uh, Paul is writing to these Thessalonian believers that are under greater persecution than they were in the previous letter that he sent them to. And he's so burdened and so concerned about them that he reminds them of his faithfulness to them in chapter 1 for their trials, that God was faithfully working through their trials and that he was allowing progress to be made. He pointed them to his promises and prayed for their uh, continual growth, but then also Paul encouraged them in chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12 with God's sovereignty or his rule because kind of just let them know what God's plan was for the future because in chapter 1 they were discouraged with these spiritual attacks and they were encouraged by God's faithfulness, but then in chapter 2 it's obvious that they were deceived by a lie of Satan, that they were living in the day of the Lord because of the sufferings they were going through, and Paul encouraged them with God's sovereign rule, that His plan was that He has a plan for the future and that He has the power to execute that plan and no one, not even Satan and the Antichrist, can thwart His will. We had a great week at camp this last week. It was my first time going to Treasure Mountain Bible Camp. Uh, it was first time, of course, for Josiah too. He had a, a great time and I did too. Uh, a lot of first things for me and um, never... They played some games. I've been to camp for the last six years, but there was one game. Yeah, I guess there's a couple of games I've never played before, but one that I'll probably remember and I'll be scarred for for a while is uh, capture the capture the counselor. <laughs> uh, let me tell you a little bit about how this works. Uh, that evening, it happened to be it was evening, so it was of course dark, but it happened to be cold and it was raining. As it says in the bulletin, it rained almost every day except water day, which we got wet anyway, right? So, but uh, anyway, it wasn't cold at least. But that night, um, I wasn't really prepared for it, but they said, hey, you know, we're going to send you counselors out to go hide. And so I got in real trouble when I came back because I had a collared shirt on that was new and I didn't know it was my new one I got for my birthday. Mom, sorry. Uh, and, then, uh, and then also I had some good pair of jeans on, but we... Uh, the object of the game was for the campers to find us counselors. We had to go and hide around the campsite. We were kind of limited to where we could hide. And um, I went and hid. They have a lot of fir trees up there. And so I went and uh, tried to hide myself under some branches of a fir tree. I was thinking about climbing it, but then I started breaking branches. So I thought that was not a good idea. So I hid underneath there. And um, anyway, I, I had this little coat that I just brought over my head. And I, you know... I, I was really proud of myself. I wasn't the first one out. Um, I, that's what my goal was. I knew I was probably going to be found because I'm this big lug. But uh, where you know, I want to be the I want to be like close to the last or middle or whatever. I don't want to be the first one. So anyway, I'm hiding there, and these six or so uh, teenage boys, I couldn't see them because I just saw flashlights and darkness. But uh, anyway, these six boys, I, I do know they were from Wyoming. They uh, they they found me. And uh, they drug me out from underneath the tree. And the object was to capture the counselor and return him back to the trading post in town. 
that was quite a ways away uh, on purpose to make that hard. But uh, anyway, they started dragging me, and uh, I was, I, you know, I, I did, a lot of counselors didn't want to get dirty, so they just said, okay, I'll go back to the trading post. I probably should have done that, you know, just thinking about it. But I took, I'm very competitive, and I, I fought tooth and nail. Uh, I was surrounded by aspen trees, so I grabbed onto them, and I wrapped my, and they were playing my fingers away from the trees. Uh, I, I thought I could take these six boys, but they, uh, they, were, they were bigger. They were big boys, ranchers from Wyoming. And so anyway, uh, you know, I would, and it was times I pretended, okay, I'll go to jail, and then, so I'm heading there, and we're going down the driveway, and then I shrug them off, and I try to run. You know, I was resisting every every way. I was wrestling them down. But uh, it ended up that they were dragging me on the gravel to to the trading post, and I was putting my leg out and tripping them up so they wouldn't so stop them. But I got so out of breath that, I mean, my lungs were like, cold. I don't know if I had a bunch of cold air or nothing, but I was just fatigued, and I was just worn out, and I just gave up. And I just let them finally drag me the rest of the way. <laughs> and I ruined a shirt, and, a, and my jeans had two of the belt loops ripped off. <laughs> so I had to throw those away. But it was a fun game. So uh, I'll do it again. <laughs> just bring old clothes next time. But, uh, you know, I think about, I thought about the Thessalonians. As I was meditating on this passage this week, I was studying it every morning this week, and thought about that game after it happened. I was like, man. I can just imagine the fatigue that these Thessalonians were under as they were just being attacked spiritually. Not only by the devil, but I mean by people in their own town, their own city, maybe even their own family. Uh, the pain that just wouldn't let up, the pressures that wouldn't stop, the persecution that didn't cease. And they were tempted, I know, to give up and just give in and walk away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 let us know that Paul had this very same concern in that first letter says in verses 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you, and our, or have tempted you in our labor, be in vain. The problem with uh, just continuous spiritual attacks, continual persecution and pain that we deal with as believers is that we can be tempted to give in, but also our focus can be in the wrong place. Focus can be more on our circumstances than on God Almighty. And Paul here in the verses 13 through 17, he um, is not ignoring their pain or their persecution, but he wants their focus to be on God uh, during this time. He points the Thessalonians to God here in verses 13 through 15, because he wants them to stand fast and continue to grow spiritually. And they have to keep their focus in the right place. They have to keep their focus on him. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I know that many of you are going through some trials right now in your own life, or even, you know, of people that are going through times of suffering. But maybe some of you have taken a stand for Christ. I know for our campers that came back, many of them made a decision to take a stand for Christ where they're at in their home, their families, at school. But I always want to let you know, like the Apostle Paul said in that first letter, that tribulation is certainly going to come. That there are going to be times of, um, there are going to be hard times that are going to come, 
And we should be concerned about our longevity, about continuing to progress spiritually. But the only way you're going to do that is to keep your focus in the right place. And that is on the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to keep our focus on the Lord. And how do you keep your eyes upon God in your trials? I broke up our passage in three different ways. I'm just a normal preacher. Three outline, three points, right? There's no poem, by the way. Uh, but the point, first uh, section, verses 13 through 14, is one sentence in the Greek. And it's uh, here Paul is encouraging them to praise always God's love. And then in verse 15, to persist in his truth. And then number three, to pray for his grace. If you do those three things, you're going to keep your focus on God Almighty. Praise his love, persist in his truth, and pray for his grace. Uh, verse, verse 13 begins, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he begins his sentence with the phrase, We are bound. Paul expressed that he, as the apostle of Jesus Christ, was personally obligated to give thanks to God for, for these Thessalonian believers. But I think it would be a total mistake to not see the direct application that these Thessalonians had a personal obligation to give thanks to God for his great love for them. To praise God always, to give thanks always to God. And he, can, he describes these Thessalonians as brethren beloved of the Lord. And that word... Beloved is actually, um, I'm not going to get that technical, but it means that it's written in a tense that means that the action has taken place in the past and is continuing on into the future. That they have been loved in the past and that love has not changed at all. And that's exactly what has been the case, uh, has been the case for every believer in this room today or under the sound of my voice, is that if you have received the love of God, that it is unconditional. That God loves you the same that He did before you were saved as He does now. And that does not change. He loves you with an everlasting love and it's not conditional. Um, how has God loved uh, Christians that are suffering? How has God loved you, whether you're in suffering or not? Verse 13 spells out very clearly that God lovingly chose you to salvation. Now this is a very uncomfortable passage for me because I don't believe in Calvinism. But, you know, election, the doctrine of election is in the Bible, okay? But it's not described like the Calvinists describe it. Um, here, God lovingly chose you to salvation. Um, definitely, God took the initial step because it says that they were beloved or loved of God because God hath from the beginning chose you to salvation, okay? That He took that initial step. And as we come to this, we need to realize that He did this he chose to bring us to salvation by Jesus Christ. I want to read a quotation from Acts chapter 2, verse 23. That the reason why Jesus died on the cross is because that was God's plan from the beginning. That He wanted to save sinners. That He, he already had a plan of salvation in mind. It says in verse 23 of Acts chapter 2, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Peter, this is a verse, a quotation from what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost as he was preaching against the Jews that had 
crucified our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he made it very clear that they didn't, try, they didn't do anything to disrupt the plan of God because God had a plan of salvation from the beginning and that He had determined that His Son was going to be the means by which sinners can be reconciled to Him. And so His crucifixion was planned and it was a victory, not a defeat at Calvary. Um, first of all, He chose to save you through the sanctification of the Spirit. If you look at verse 13, tells two ways that God chose to save us. First of all, through the sanctification of the Spirit. And I just want to read um, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, that describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit in regards to salvation. It says, And when the Spirit is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness, because I go to My Father and ye see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. This, these verses are describing God's Spirit bringing conviction upon sinners. I cannot bring conviction upon one single human being. And I realize that, that I am inadequate to bring about any kind of spiritual results in and of myself, in myself but I pray, and I have prayed, and I hope that you prayed that the Holy Spirit is working today. He is working in our hearts. He's the only one that brings change, and He definitely is the only one that brings conviction of sin to sinners. Jesus says here that He would come to reprove the world of sin because they believe not on Me. They didn't believe the promises and the prophecies that Jesus says, the claims that He made that He was the Son of God, that He was God, and that they needed to trust in Him as Savior. Um, They did not... Also, they rejected Him, but they also did not believe that He was righteous. And the Holy Spirit came to convict them of righteousness because He went to His Father and would not see them anymore. His resurrection proved who He said He was and would convict the sinner of that reality. And then of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged, and if Satan is de- if sin and death have been judged and they have been defeated at Calvary, then you can be sure that your sin is going to be judged as well. And so the reality of the judgment to come. And see, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can bring that kind of reality to a sinner's heart. And God lovingly chose to save you through that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit at some time in your life, whether you realized it or not, you probably didn't realize it. I don't realize it until I was saved how the Holy Spirit used the Word of God to convict me of my need. For me, uh, it was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where I realized that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. All my life from age 6 to 16, which I know is not a great deal, but it was a great deal to me, about 10 years of my life at that point, after making a profession of faith in Christ, I never lived for God. I never, I always was trying to do something better to get to heaven. But finally, when I was 16 years old and I read that verse, I realized, whoa, I've been trying to work my way to heaven all this time. I've been trying to do good, you know, try to do a good job to try to be like these Christian teens in my youth group, and I can't do it. And I finally realized that I didn't have to do it. Not that uh, God doesn't want me to live a good moral life, but that's not the issue at all. That was not the issue at all. I was trying to live a good moral life to get to heaven. And I was trying to do what Jesus did on the cross, and I realized, wow. He already did that for me. So 
you talk about the love that God, He didn't have to do that. His Spirit didn't have to work in my life, but He lovingly chose to do that. Um, second of all, God lovingly chose to save me through belief of the truth, the verse says. So we're kind of seeing the divine aspect of salvation and then the human perspective of it as well, where we put our faith in Christ. And you know this verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall have everlasting life, shall not, should, excuse me, should not perish but have everlasting life. I just failed as a preacher in quoting John 3.16. Okay, but anyway, God saves sinners by faith in Christ, all right? He saves sinners by faith in Christ. He doesn't shove it down their throat, but they have to believe. And the fact that He saves people through simple faith in Christ, that you don't have to do anything else apart from that to be saved, is a loving act of God, that He did the work for us because we couldn't do it anyway. And uh, this was true of the Thessalonians and. Both aspects are, are represented in First excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter one, verses four through six. You may not remember this when we studied it, but it says, "Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God." He actually uses that language. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. When the word of God came to the Thessalonians, it wasn't just given eloquently. And it was accurate. Of course it was accurate. And it may not have been that eloquent, but it came in power and it came in the Holy Spirit where He was doing the working and the convicting. And it came in much assurance where they put their confidence in that. That was a working of God. And it says in the rest of the passage, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now here's the human perspective of it. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word. So you have the Holy Spirit working and them having received the Word. And that is a loving act of God that He um, saved them in this way. And He chose, this was His plan all along, is to save sinful human beings. And this was from the beginning. This is from the before we were born that God had this plan of salvation to save sinners. But now we see that God lovingly in verse 14 calls you in a moment of time to salvation. That He calls you. And by what means does He call you? It says through the Gospel message. Verse 14. Whereunto He Himself, actually it's very emphasized in the original language, He Himself, for He Himself called you by our Gospel. And so that's how God works. He calls people to salvation through the Gospel message. And what a responsibility you and I have not to keep quiet, but to share the Gospel message. We don't know who's, you know, who's going to receive the gospel or not, but we know that God calls people through the gospel message. And we need to be giving it out. We need to be giving it out faithfully. And He calls us not only through the gospel message, but He also calls you to a glorified inheritance. As you think about the Thessalonians, they lived in a city that hated their guts because they were Christians. They were being persecuted. They didn't have friends. It wasn't friendly to Christianity. And they were under greater persecution than when he wrote that first letter. And I'm sure it really encouraged them here where Paul reminded them, you know what? And he, he writes this, I give thanks. I'm bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord. That, you know, I just want to remind you that you have been loved and you are still in be, being loved by God Almighty. 
that He hasn't forsaken you, that He's loved you all this time, He's supported you all this time. And uh, when we think about being chosen and you know to, to be saved by God, it's not because we're like, man, I am just, I am so worthy of being chosen. I mean, if you knew my parents, if you knew my grandparents and how good they were and how much they gave to the church, I am definitely worthy of being chosen to salvation. That's not the, the idea or even the tone here. It's a humbleness. It should humble you. That you realize that God in eternity past, that He chose to save human beings like you and me. And that it was a moment in your past, hopefully, that He called you to salvation and you responded to the Gospel. The call was given to the whole city, but they responded in faith and God saved them. And what a humbling reality when we think about God's love to us in the past. And just thanking God for the glory that He has prepared for us for the future. We, we can be miserable right now with uh, persecutions, with the pain, with, um, you know, with the pressures that we have of being, standing up as a Christian today. But we have so much laying ahead of us. We have so much to look forward to in the future, this glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that we look forward to. But I believe, most importantly, that, Jesus, that Paul was trying to get these Thessalonians to realize that if God loved you enough to save you, if He loved you enough to call you to salvation, if He supported you and carried you through all this time, He cares right now about your current situation. So, put your focus on God's love even in your trials. To keep your focus on His love and give Him thanks even when times are going tough. And you will realize that He, that he does care and you will keep your eyes on Him. Uh, verse 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. I word it this way, to persist in God's truth. Um, another fun activity I got to do at camp uh, that was interesting was the water slide. I don't know how high it was, Lexi, but it was pretty high. We were up there helping juniors go down. And I, it was really cool. The, the, steep, the slope was really, really steep. They had this water going down to the um, this slide that would go around and curve on the guy's side of camp. And there were several uh, juniors that got up there, and they were pretty scared to go down because you had to, um, they had like a boogie board, you know, and you had to lay down on your belly. You had to go head first down, and uh, you're just going super fast. And uh, and they, thankfully they had these little handles on the sleds because I don't think I would have gone down if they didn't have the little handles. But uh, but you know when I went down, I was like right there. It was right next to my chest. We were we were one. We were one flesh. <laughs> okay, me and the sled. As we went down, we were I was gripping onto it for dear life and being a big boy like I am, you know, I have more momentum going down than uh, some of some of the little juniors. And so as I was going, you know, all these juniors are going down screaming, ah! trying to do, you know, try to be the loudest, you know. Or it might have been genuine screams. But um you know, they kept saying, yeah, you need to scream when you go down, Pastor John. And I meant to do it. But every time I'd go down, I'd be concentrating so much on gripping onto this sled that I forget to scream. But yeah, anyway, I would hold it and grip it as tight as I could as I went down. And the same idea is in mind here with the word, hold the traditions which you've been taught. 
that you would not only stand fast and not be moved or resist the spiritual attacks of the wicked one and of your flesh, but you would hold on to or grasp tightly. You would cling to these traditions which have been taught, whether by word or epistle. Let me give a little bit of explanation about this because even in Sunday school we talked about traditions and how in the past um, and even today people do follow traditions of men instead of traditions of the Lord. And what Paul is meaning by here is the method that God's Word was delivered to these Thessalonians. Uh, they, did not, they did not have a Bible like you and I did. Okay? There were you know, scrolls of the Old Testament Scriptures, but they didn't have a copy of God's Word at the First Baptist Church of Thessalonica. Okay? Or even in the homes of the people there. Um, but they did have letters from apostles, uh, from the Apostle Paul and others that were later put in, that were, um, they were definitely inspired and they're in Scripture today. But you think about the Thessalonians and the fact that they were, they were delivered the Word of God by mouth, orally. You know, the Apostle Paul was there. And he told them about the rapture. He told them about tribulation to come. He told them about the day of the Lord. He revealed a lot of things by the authority of God's Word because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He gave that prophecy and he uh, preached to them the Word of God. But, uh, on a different note, um, they didn't have the inspired Word of God like we do. You know, they had these letters that were sent, First and Second Thessalonians. They definitely received that. But they didn't have the book of Acts. They didn't have First and Second Corinthians and the rest of the letters to compare with. Many of them, actually, many people, and I would agree, that, the, uh, that First and Second Thessalonians were probably one of the earliest New Testament letters that were written. Um, and so... It was uh, very, you know, so they were depending on what they were taught by word or by letter in the past, but the Bible wasn't completely written yet. But the situation for me and you is totally different. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 and 10 through 10 say, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, or prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Okay? Different church, same author being uh, same excuse me, same person being used of God to write down the word of God. And uh, what is the same thing? What what do these all have in common? Prophecies, tongues. Uh, knowledge. They're all revelatory gifts that were given in the early church. Um, you think about the prophecies that, you know, Agabus was a prophet in the New Testament church. It wasn't just Old Testament prophets. There were New Testament prophets too in the early church. But they were given prophecies. They were given the revealed Word of God as they preached uh, forth what God was going to do in the future, but also what God's divine will was at that time. Then you had tongues, the gift of tongues that was a revelatory gift. It revealed uh, things and it had to have an interpreter. And I'm not going to get too much into this, but it was a revelatory gift. And then also knowledge, which I believe was a divine knowledge that only God could give. And the Apostle Paul, even though he had probably all of these gifts, I can't be for sure, he admits that they will, they will in the future vanish away. For we know 
divinely know in part. We don't know everything of the mind of God. We prophesy in part. He didn't, he didn't give the whole prophecy for you know, what God's plan was for the future in its entirety. But he says, but when that which is perfect is come. What is that? That's the big question. What is that which is perfect is come? And I believe it is the Word of God. Many uh, other denominations believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have a great exception with that because it's in the neuter tense. And Jesus is not neuter. He's not a, he's not a thing. He is a person. It would have been in the masculine case if it was. And so it would be he, or he who was perfect instead of that which is perfect. And so the only thing that makes sense is the complete revelation of God's Word. And I hope you agree with me on this. That, um, that God has completed, that He was looking forward to when God would complete the revelation of His Word and that which was in part, all those things in the early church that were used for signs and to meet the needs in the early church at that time would be done away. And I believe that in our 66 books of the Bible, we do have the complete Word of God. Revelation uh, chapter 22 really ends it with the warning not to add or take away from God's Word. And so we better not do that as well. And so we have the complete written Word of God. And as we compare ourselves to the Thessalonians, we have a, a huge, huge advantage over the privileges that they had. Um, we have the privilege of having the Word of God in our own language. We have the privilege of having it so easily accessible. You can go to the dollar store and buy it for a buck. You know? There is no... What do you... We have no excuse at all. We have such a privilege to stand up for the Word of God. But what are you doing with the Word of God? That's what he was challenging these Thessalonians with. He's like, you've received the truth from me and it may not be as much as these 21st century Christians have, but what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the 66 books of the Bible that you have? Um... The Word of God gives us several responsibilities in persisting in the truth. That we should hear it, that we should read it, that we should study it, that we should meditate on it, that we should memorize it, that we should obey it, that we should defend it, that we should share it. And the problem is is that we handle the Word of God so carelessly that we take it for granted. And the Apostle Paul challenges them, what are you going to do with the truth that you've been given? He encourages them to commit themselves to the Word of God. That they would commit themselves to reading it, you know, studying it, to meditate on what they do have, to memorize what He had delivered to them, to obey what He had delivered and He had commanded, and to defend it and to share it with the others in Thessalonica. And the application is the same for me and you. God's Word is relevant. Isn't it? I mean, it, I mean the same application that was given to these Thessalonians is the same application that you and I need to take heed of. That we need to stand fast on the Word of God. That's word for word what the King James says. That we would stand fast on the Word of God and that we would hold tightly to the Word of God that we would have. How can you keep your eyes on the Lord in your trials? First of all, you keep your focus on His love that He has shown you and the love that He's going to continue to show you, but also keep your eyes on God's Word and your trials and cling to it. And then verses 16-17, through 17, we have this prayer. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us and have given us everlasting consolation and comfort, hope through grace, comfort your heart 
hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Paul prays here for God's grace for their trials. And uh, prayer for God's grace is vital for you to experience any kind of spiritual victory. We, uh, the ones in our adult science school class, when we studied the armor of God, I'm not sure if you remember, but it starts, the first verse in that section says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then in the last verse, I can't remember the number, says that we should be praying with all prayer and all supplication for all saints. And so the necessity of having prayer is vital for spiritual victory. We can have all the armor we, we want, but if you don't have prayer, you're not going to succeed. And one of our speakers at camp, I was with the junior campers because Josiah was a junior camper, but we had an excellent preacher. Uh, he is a part-time fireman. And uh, he, was actually, he actually did a lesson on the armor of God. And it was so cool. He brought his fireman gear. And I think, I, man, if he could come here and do that illustration, I, I mean, it just clicked for me. I think it went way beyond what I did with you adults uh, with just a practical application for today of how armor is used and equipment is used. But he, he brought his fireman coat that was fire, fire resistant. He put, brought his helmet. He brought his glasses. He brought his gloves that were fire resistant. He brought his boots. They were already in there. and Just brought those up, put the suspenders on those and buckled himself up. He had a little um, thing to cover. I'm not sure what he called it, but something to cover his head just to expose so that no skin was showing. Um, and he had all, he even brought a fire hose. And he showed the little nozzle that went on that thing. It was like a $2,000 hose, a little nozzle to go on the end of that hose. I mean, huge thing that could like blow you away. You know, if he hooked it up to a fire hydrant. And uh, I was just amazed, you know. But, and I was like, that is a cool illustration of all the boots and the hat and the protection and everything that he needed to defend himself. And then the water hose to fight the fire. You know, he had all the equipment. He had all the tools. But then at the end, he put on his oxygen tank. And he put on this little res- respirator thing. And he was talking through it. It was really cool. It had a microphone in it so he could talk through it. You could hear him. But you could... You could hear you know, him talking and he had to take a breath. It kind of sounded like Darth Vader. You know, as he was talking to us. And anyway, he was uh, trying to communicate to us, but he had to take that breath, didn't he? And just to speak to us. And the same thing was true as a firefighter. He says, if I don't have this oxygen tank, I can have an axe, I can have all this equipment, I can have my fire hose, but if I don't have this oxygen, I'm not going to be able to breathe. I need oxygen for not only my lungs, but all my, my muscles, also my muscles to operate and use the equipment. And the same illustration, the same lesson is taught there in Ephesians chapter 6 about prayer. You can have the armor of God. You can know what you should do. But prayer is vital. You need the grace of God in, to enable you to use those things. And so many times we go and we face trials, um, we face trials without the grace of God. Uh, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, you don't have to turn to these places, but he does encourage them in that first letter to uh, live to please God in chapter 4, verse 1. To grow in their love for others in verse 10 of chapter 4. He encourages them in First Thessalonians chapter 4 that they'll re- reunite with the dead in Christ. That in chapter 5, that they will not suffer the day of the Lord. He encourages them to minister to each other. But he prays here for the grace to do those things. You see? You can know what you should be encouraged to do. You can, you sh- you can know what the responsibilities are. 
but he prays for God's grace to encourage their hearts to do such a thing, to comfort their hearts. And then he also prays for God's grace to establish their life. And he describes that work by every good word and deed. The idea here of every good word and deed is talking about the Christian faith being consistently lived out. I read this uh, quote before we left for camp uh, somewhere. I can't remember who the author is, but um, it may not be exact, so don't stone me, okay? Uh, but it says, the only consistent thing in life is our inconsistencies. I, it really hit me. The only consistent thing in life, and I think this was from a secular author, is our own inconsistencies. And um, I thought about the scribes and Pharisees that Keith was talking about, how, you know, they, we, they were so, they were, as we were talking about from Matthew chapter 5, how they, you know, had such authority and how you need to keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, but they weren't keeping it themselves. They didn't practice what they preached. And only God's grace can enable you to practice what you preach. And so we have this exhortation, this example, to pray, comfort our hearts, O Lord, Establish us and establish us in every good word and work. Here, the Apostle Paul was trying to encourage these Thessalonians to get their eyes off their situation and their circumstances, no matter how bad they were or even how good they were, to turn their eyes on the Lord, to keep their eyes on the Lord, and they will continue to progress in their faith they would continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And how would they do that? First of all, to praise the love of God in their life. No matter how bad your life, your life gets, there is evidence of God's love in your life. And the fact that He has never left you, nor, nor will leave you, nor forsake you ever. He has that promise in His Word that He'll never leave you, nor forsake you. His love is unconditional and everlasting. And then second of all, to persist in the Word of God. If your focus is in the Word of God, you're going to be encouraged to keep on. And you're going to be, um, you're going to be guided to do what is going to be healthy for you as a Christian to persist in your service to Christ. But you, know, you can realize God's love. You can know what God's Word says. But you need God's grace. And you need to be totally dependent on Him and keep your eyes on Him during your trials. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for the Word of God and that it does give us instruction for how we should live here on earth. And Lord, we know that you foretold that uh, the world hated you, it's going to hate us too. But sometimes we get tired of it. Sometimes we get fatigued. Sometimes we might even get mad at you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to take the admonition that has been given in this, uh, these couple of verses to turn our eyes upon You, Lord, to look full in Your wonderful face that we would just, maybe we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but at least we can see that You are definitely in control of our lives and that You do love us, that You have given us Your Word so we know what to do and that You've promised to give us the power and the ability to overcome the temptations that might come our way. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on You, to be God-focused as members of First Baptist Church. Lord, if there's someone in here today who 
and they haven't realized the love that you have for them, that you love them so much that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Pray, Lord, that that person in this room, if they haven't accepted Christ, that they would do that today. Lord, I just thank You that You are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Lord, I do pray that You would save a soul this morning if they need to be saved. And I pray You'll work in their hearts. But for the rest of the believers in here, You called us to submit ourselves uh, to You, to walk dependent on You, to draw close to You. And actually, You promised in Your Word that if we draw close, draw nigh to God, You'll draw nigh to us. So, Lord, we claim that promise this morning. We ask, Lord, that people in this room or under the sound of my voice, would they would respond to the message that's been given. Lord, that they would draw close to your love. Lord, they draw close to your word. Draw close to your grace and prayer. Lord, stop fighting. Stop trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. But, Lord, that they would respond in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anything that is not of faith is sin your word says. So Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts. People would respond. You would get the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.